I don't believe it's an illusion. I do believe we are improving. But just like I said there, last week after the game, we took a minute to understand how that felt. We need to feel that. Okay? And then we need to grow on it. We obviously did not grow on it. Uh, today, you need to take a minute and feel that feeling. Because that's as bad a feeling in sports as you can have. I think we all took a step backwards today. Right? Uh, we played poorly today. Okay? From a man. From a guy in that locker room not, that doesn't own some part of this. Starting with me. It's time to talk 49ers football on Gold Faithful with Brian Peacock and Nick Winkler. San Francisco 49ers played a poor football game. Well, understatement there, the San Francisco 49ers played a poor football game indeed. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Gold Faithful. Brian Peacock here. Nick, unfortunately, is not going to be with us this week, but we might get a little phone call from Nick. Unfortunately, his wife had a little car accident, and uh, he's home taking care of her and their young daughter. So hopefully everything is all good on their end of her good reports there. So not a major accident, but we might get a little phone call from Nick. He might join us to uh, discuss the Cleveland Browns game, a little bit of the Cincinnati Bengals upcoming game. We do have a great guest for you this week, Jeff Dini from Pro Football Focus. He's an analyst and the 49ers correspondent there. Uh, always good stuff and good information coming from Jeff and the folks over at Pro Football Focus. Always follow us on Twitter. You can find me at BD Peacock. Nick, you can find him at Bay Area Wink. We're on iTunes. Subscribe, review the show. Instagram, you can reach us by phone or text if you want to. The phone number is 415-858-0094. Email at goldfaithful49 at gmail.com. Uh, I guess the first thing we got to do is get out of the way some news. Alex Boone, done for the year. Knee injury, unfortunately. And Marcus Martin will probably move right in there. He was about to get... Booted from the starting lineup, probably overdue as Marcus Martin, as we know, as 49ers fans, people watch the team closely. He was really, really playing poor football. And uh, Daniel Kilgore is back, and he's at center, but now Marcus Martin will probably take over there at left guard. Got some problems on the right side, too, with Eric Pierce, but we will talk to Jeff Dini a little bit later about Tiller on the right side. Might be a right guard of the now and of the future. So that'll be interesting to get his take and see what kind of grades he's gotten from pro football focus. And we might actually have seen the last of Alex Boone in a 49ers uniform. He is a free agent at the end of the season. Earlier on in the season, we talked to David Ficillo from NinersNation.com who thought that there wasn't a very good shot that the 49ers would resign Alex Boone. With all the holes on the offensive line and how bad it has looked this year, I can't imagine him not trying to bring back somebody who... Um, who can really play solid football because, man, they just need they need a lot of help on the front. Um, one of the most interesting things that happened this week, there was a public statement from John York, Jed's father. Uh, he was at a luncheon. It was a 49ers annual luncheon and uh, in Redwood City today, and an uh, impromptu statement about, about the football team and about the 2015 49ers. Uh, he said, quote, this was not a good season, but you have my assurance that Ownership of the 49ers is very passionate about this team, and we are here to win. I will say this. Our family is extremely passionate about the 49ers. All of us are disappointed in the season. It did not go the way we were hoping. You can blame it on whatever, but it doesn't make any difference. We are very proud of the past, but we also look to the future. That's what we're going to need to do. So that was from John York, Dr. John York, Jed's father and co-owner of the 49ers. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. It's he said something. Jed has been pretty silent this season. So um, aside from a couple of tweets here and there, but that's John's statement on the on the state of the team. Yeah, obviously things didn't go well, and they'd like it to go better. Um, so not too surprising of a statement there. Doesn't say a lot. Doesn't say that they are willing to make a lot of changes. It doesn't say that they think that things are going in the right direction. But they do need to get some things turned around. An ugly loss to the Cleveland Browns this week. Man, um, I do have... It's uh, There are so many things that happen here. Um, it really comes down to the 49ers getting outcoached. And if the 49ers and the Yorks aren't going to make big changes, I don't see how the 49ers can come out of this tailspin because it doesn't look like Jim Tom Sula, for all his qualities, and I really like Jim Tom Sula, but he is not the guy that is going to take this franchise and turn it around. It's, it's. I don't think that's going to happen. I love him as a defensive guy. I like him as a coach and as a person. I think guys have played for him, even though it's been a terrible season. The 49ers most weeks have played hard, um, but there's been a few times, and there were some quotes this week that we'll get to in a little bit with Joe Staley and Ahmad Brooks and some people saying some different things about the 49ers maybe getting big-headed after beating the Bears in overtime, which there's no reason for them to have gotten big-headed. So those were some surprising comments. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, actually, it looks like we have a phone call here. So how about we fire it up, and I'm going to – it looks like it's probably Nick giving us a call on the phone here. I'm going to fire up a quote from Mike Pettin, and we'll talk to Nick Winkler momentarily. You know, we, we felt good about the run plan and the matchup. Thought we matched up, and then there were just some things schematically we thought we could take advantage of. Nicholas Winkler, come on down. Mr. Nick Winkler. Hey, man, long time no talk. How you been? <laughs> I've been well, I've been well. Good, that's fantastic. Did you tell everyone why I'm not there? I did. Okay, yeah, it's one of those best-case scenarios, though. The car was super old and actually got totaled, and we're going to make quite a bit of money for the vehicle. So, new car, here we come. Awesome. That's, that's a nice little bonus. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's one positive to come from a pretty bad situation. So, uh, right before you called up, we uh, I, I played a sound clip that was from Mike Pettin. Have you heard his clip? Uh, it was no, after he- the 49ers game, and uh, he talked about how he thought he could, they could out-scheme the 49ers, basically, and take advantage of them in the run game. <laughs> yeah, it's easy which, to say that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which happened. That was an accurate yeah. thing. That That's a thing that did happen. Nailed um, it. And th- this is where I was kind of going before uh, before you called up. It, it's, it's, it looked to me like a complete out-coaching job. Do you oh, agree? Man. Yeah, I really do. On, on every level. I mean, the offense couldn't get anything going. Gabbard had no time to throw. And it... It was the opposite on the other side. Johnny Manziel seemed like he had all day in the pocket. I, I kept hearing I actually had to listen to the game on Sunday because my power was out until about 1130. So I'm, I'm listening on 680, and I just keep hearing, like, oh, they they got to keep him in the sandbox. they got to keep Johnny Manziel off the playground, off the blacktop, keep him in the sand pit. <laughs> like, he probably said it five or six times. And it was, But it's true. You know, I mean, he was getting out there. He, the 49ers made Johnny Manziel and Isaiah Crowell look like pro bowlers. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it's, and I think you're right. I think it has a lot to do with schemes and, and just being outcoached plainly. It, it's happened a couple times this season where it was it was a situation that you thought very very early on in the game. This game is so over. 
Yeah. And even though the score didn't dictate it, you're exactly right. right. It, it felt, felt like, it felt a lot worse than what the yeah. final score indicated that it was 24 to 10. It felt a lot worse than that. Right. If you were to just look at the well, the box score looks pretty bad too. If you look at that, but yes. yeah, the the score in general not too bad. But they were just beaten on every single. I can't think of one area where the 49ers were better than the Browns on Sunday. It was it was hard to watch, hard to continue to watch. I bet you know most of the casual fans or even people that listen to this, I wouldn't blame them for turning it off late in that game. I mean, why put yourself? Through that kind of torture, really. And it was against the Cleveland Browns, which... I know, that's the worst part about it. Right, on the show last week. Like, how much did we talk last week about how uh, this is the most... This is, like, the best you felt coming into a game. They were coming off a big win, overtime win on the road, Mm -hmm, and you thought, mm -hmm. okay, it's the Browns. It's the worst team in the league, and the 49ers aren't the worst team in the league, so they come in and they're going to they're gonna get a winning streak going. They're going to win two in a row, and there's probably some jobs that will get saved by, by yeah. them doing this. And <laughs> now, I mean, you got to think it's the opposite, right? Like j- jobs were being lost on Sunday. I mean, there's even rumors going around about, you know, an, a sale by ownership. I mean, there's, there's so many bad things that have happened this season that this is just kind of the, like, yeah, see? See, everything is horrible. Like, last week against Chicago, that the team we expected last week against Chicago, or at least that I expected, was the team that showed up this week. I, when they came out and they looked good against Chicago and kind right. of held them defensively, like, that was a surprise to me, as I'm sure it was to most people based on how the 49ers have played this season. But it, it, it's so bad on so many levels that it, it, it's heartbreaking to a point. You know where it's like I know I'm gonna watch every game. I watch every game every season, but it's not. There's there's zero excitement going into it now for me, and that's it's hard to do. Even the Gabbert talk, you know, I mean, yeah, he had no time to throw, but when he did throw, he didn't even look that good. You know, like nobody looked good in this game. The running game got absolutely nothing going. You know, the the kicking game. I mean, I think Ellington had one good return or something, which was fun. It, didn't it lead to the only uh, the first field goal possibly? I've been so out of it since this accident. I, I have, yeah. I, yeah, so yeah, there was the big return, and then right. uh, or it was the big. It was the interception is the one I was thinking of. It wasn't the right. kick returns. The interception, and then they instantly had the quickest three and out I can remember in the history of the Forty ers after you getting know, good field position with with the with the pick. So many three and outs, as always. And you're right; it was just like, wow, that was meaningless. And it was there were three. There was the blocked field goal too to start the game, and it was like, okay, all right, or and it was just and then nothing, and then but. One thing I did like from the 49er offense, but, you know, I've been calling for it all season, as have you, is that they weren't as predictable to me in the play calling. Like, I think they only ran once in their six plays or first six plays or something. Like, it was it was totally different, mm. but it, it didn't work. It didn't work at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it, when, the, when such a key call, like, the offensive line played as bad as they have all year, and they've played yeah. bad and that's this a season. Lot. And that, yeah, that means right. that was really really bad tied a franchise record right with nine sacks oh man allowed nine sacks allowed brutal brutal um yeah but i don't so where do you go from here last week we had a little bit of an uh, a little bit of a back and forth about gabbard i was i was kind of saying that uh, i'm i'm totally on board with drafting a quarterback high if the right Mm -hmm. guy was there you were you took a step back from that you were a little bit more on gabbard's side thinking well maybe we can shore up some other things Uh, you, you still feel that way I, I do. I really do. Because, like you said, the nine sacks, I mean, that's not on Gabbert. Right. And none of, I feel like zero of those sacks were Gabbert holding the ball for too long. And I don't no. think there were any coverage sacks there. I think it was just, uh, we're sending four guys, you have five to block us, and we're going to sack 
Gabbert pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's yeah. been his MO is getting rid of the ball quickly. And really, um, Blake Bell didn't play a very good game. He screwed up no. a uh, screen pass really bad. He he mm-hmm. uh, forgot to chip a guy. There was that play where the they went for it on one. fourth down. Sure. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and he was kind of looking to him, but he didn't get into his – something was not right there. So something's kind of not clicking um, so and you got to think Gabbert, who really relies on throwing to his tight ends. We've seen yeah. uh, he's probably missing Garrett Selleck and missing Vance McDonald, and, and of course. Brendan uh, exactly Davis it. gone. Like, I can't. I don't feel like you can hold too much of what's happening against Gabbert because I mean, what is Bell the fifth string tight end to start the season? You know, like and and Sean Drone is your starting running back. He doesn't have the weapons around him. The offensive line is horrible. I mean, we can beat that to death as we have and as I'm sure we will continue to do. But still, there were times where you know Gabbert escaped the pressure and ran outside and still I just I love it so much he reminds me a little bit of Jeff Garcia and the fact that when he's running and scrambling his head is always up yeah. you know he's not he never tucks that ball until he has to you know until he crosses that line of scrimmage then it gets stuck up until that he he wants to make a play he wants to get the ball down the field and I, it's going to be a really tough test this weekend against Cincinnati again they're at home so they always play better at home but I mean, this is a very bad football team, and it's going to be really hard for them to to not have a a similar game that they did against the Browns because Cincinnati defense is much, much better than the Cleveland Brown defense. Absolutely, and their offense. And their, oh, of course. I mean, even with A.J. McCarron. I mean, I don't know much about the guy besides Alabama and super hot girlfriend. (laughs) Maybe they're married now. I think they are married. They have a child on the way. Oh, oh, see, I'm all for that. I'm a a big proponent of the uh, the family. Of being a dad. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the best thing ever. But, oh, man, this week's going to be brutal. I, I, they deflexed it, too. I, I wanted to talk about that last week on the show, but we had so <laughs> much going on. That, I, it's the first time I ever remember a 49er game getting knocked out of that flex position in the history of the flex, which isn't that years old now. But That's brutal. The 49ers, such a storied franchise, and they're playing yeah. against a team that's, that's, you know, that's going to the playoffs, and right. that gets booted. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So much right there. Oh, it's man. a huge bummer. Um, <laughs> Are you so you still feeling like uh, like going high for a draft pick, looking for that quarterback? Uh, if the right guy's there, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, I mean, it looks like they're gonna have a pretty good pick right now. Yeah, they're sitting at what number five right now. That's only um, going to get better this weekend when they lose to Cincinnati. Yeah, and if they continue to lose, but here's the thing: it's they're such a Jekyll and Hyde team. Just every, I think I've yeah. only picked them to win maybe three times on the season, and those were after. <laughs> Wins, right? So they're so, all. So you yeah. have all losses. So shame on yeah. me for for continuing to believe it when I see him play better, thinking it's going right. to continue. And so you never right. know what's going to show up there at home. They've played pretty well at home, yeah. And so who knows? Maybe they just flip it again and just they just confound every every fan. Just when yeah. you think they're going to be terrible, they do something. You make you say, "Oh well, you know, maybe there's something there." I, I just don't even know what to expect <laughs> about this team. I, I hate it. Yeah, I'm with you. And, you know, Cincinnati, there's always that trap game mentality. You know, they're looking past the 49ers, especially after seeing how bad they look. But they're coming in with a backup quarterback. They are playing at Levi's Stadium. This is oh, this is one of those games where we're going to be like, it's going to be a blowout. It's going to be a 13-10, to 10, you know, loss by the 49ers where they have a shot late to win this thing. And, you know, they're going to make us look like fools, as they've done all season. <laughs> we, keep, we keep buying in, buying in, buying in, and we should be selling high. Yeah, this is this is uh, going to be a rough next couple of weeks here. Uh, like I said, or like you said, you know, this is a time for guys to go out and win some jobs, and no one did it against Cleveland. So, you know, maybe against a really tough Cincinnati team, somebody can get out there, prove themselves, 
Uh, look, you know, even Armstead, you know, had his moments of being good, but then he had his moments of looking really bad. It's just we could go on and on with that list, right? Uh, yeah, even Pinion had his moment of of brilliance there. Ellington as well looked really good, looked really bad. Uh, terrible I mean, drop. Yeah, terrible, terrible. Drop. He's just not a downfield wide. He's not a true wide receiver. I think we he's know that a, about yeah, him. He's just not a wide receiver. Yeah, right. I mean, maybe you bring him in as a swing back or something. Yeah, gadget you know? gadget player, special teams guy, yeah. and I think that's that's what he's going to be. Yeah, and to me, there's not a spot. And okay, how about this really quick? I don't know if you saw this or not. Did you see when Quentin Patton sat on that guy? <laughs> that was probably the highlight of the game. It was right. I thought, yeah, because it was so good. Because it was like, oh, actually, you were moving before it snapped. So and then, yeah, it got called back. I thought they were going to flag him for taunting or whatever for sitting on yeah. the guy. Uh, somebody on Twitter I saw right when that happened. He said that uh, that Quentin Patton teabagged him. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know what a female does that? It's called a clam bag. <laughs> okay, is that a clam bag? Is that what you call it? <laughs> no, it's a fill bag. Still oh, okay. That's <laughs> a clam bag. A ba- I like clam bag, though. I'm actually <laughs> using that online. Hey. Oh, I have Trademark. <laughs> um, so back to the Bengals, the, the one thing that I could see happening um, that, that could really be a positive for the 49ers is that A.J. McCarron's that second-year guy, young player. He's played as many snaps as we saw him play last week um, in his career, and he th- that's the kind of thing Mangini could take advantage of. He likes to really, really confuse quarterbacks, or that that's the goal. He likes to really be multiple in his scheme and move things around and move guys around and make things uh, look different when when the quarterback steps up to the line of scrimmage than they're actually doing. So that is probably the best chance the 49ers have of pulling this game out is uh, confusing McCarron and then getting some turnovers, getting some big plays that way because there's still so many weapons on offense if, Karen, if McCarron plays a decent game. Yeah, I mean, you said it. It, it. We've seen it with Mangini. You know, he he can he can bring the schemes together. He can make sure the guys are in the right place, and they and the guys can produce. You know, the guys can deliver on these sorts of schemes that he's he's writing up because we've seen it. It's just there's zero consistency there, and we just we need to see it for two games, and we haven't yet. And you know, I'm hoping this is the week. I really am. But then there's that. Part of me, deep down inside, is like, no, guys, get get a better draft pick. Come on, come on. Yeah, it's, at this but, point, it's you know, it doesn't help the franchise to win. Right. The best thing that could happen is probably to have some, um, you know, some positive things happen in the game. Certain mm-hmm. players look good. Um, the coaching staff not completely fall on their face, or maybe the opposite. Maybe the coaching staff looks so bad the rest of the way right. that they are forced to make a change. Right. It's one of those best case scenario things. You know, you get out of there, you take the loss, but you look good. Nobody gets injured, you know, and, and, and you move on from there. Like that, that's what I, ideally, that's what I would look for. But at the same time, there's a the part of me that's like, no, beat those Bengals, you know, like, come on. If you, if you could do it at home in front of the, the few people that are going to be there, uh, oh man, I'm, I'm going to be uh, really, I'm very interested to see what that stadium looks like at kickoff. Yeah, you're right because there was some... there's a Raider game also in town that same day. I mean, not that there's a whole lot of crossover there, but that that should be interesting too. I'd love to see the ratings on that too on TV. I mean, the Raiders are obviously <laughs> going to win out, right? Uh, yeah, I, sh- I don't know, man. I think the the 49ers it, it, the still. stadium could be empty, but I think people are still going to be watching at least a little bit. I think a hey, lot of people the... like a lot of people turn games off, but they I think everyone's still <laughs> going to tune in. Yeah, <laughs> it's hey, that's why we're called Gold Faithful because people listen to this are faithful. They love it. Bleed it. Yeah, yeah, I get it, man. I'll be there. I'll be there for every snap as I am every single week. I will too, man. I will too. Hey, real quick, I was looking at the stats, and Carlos Hyde is still leading the team in rushing. <laughs> I saw 
saw that. Seven games played, he's got 470 yards. Yeah, um, that's and brutal. It just hit me, and I haven't researched it, but i got to imagine the team's leading rusher is going to have less than 500 yards for the season because um, Drone's played five games. He's got three more games to get he's, – he's only at 225 yards. Yeah, there's no way. He's yeah, not getting that. and nobody else is going to come close. The th- and third is Colin Kaepernick still with 256 yards. So, wow. The leading rusher most likely for the San Francisco 49ers is going to be a guy who played seven games and has 470 total yards. So when was the last time I wonder someone, you know, the leading rusher was under 500 yards for the 49ers? I mean, it's got to be pre-Roger Craig days, right? I mean, it's got to be, we're yeah. talking late 70s, early 80s here, I can't right? even, yeah, because I, I, it just dawned on me, and wow. I didn't look at it. it I, I can't imagine ever. Well, no way, not with the backs that have come through San Francisco. There's no way. Yeah, there's I mean, been Ricky so Waters, many 1,000-yard guys, yeah. someone gets even hurt. Even Kirby, I think, got over 500 <laughs> yards. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Rusher, rusher. Okay. Uh, so none of the Gore years. That leads, uh, of course not. Gore was a leading rusher for 10 straight years, 05 to 2014. Hall of Famer, no um, doubt. Let's see. We had Kevin Barlow. Okay. Wow, okay. Let's see what those – we had Barlow for two years as the leading rusher. Then Garrison Hurst for two years. Garner for two years. Hurst for two years before that. That goes back to 97. It can't – yeah. There's no way those are going to be under 500 yards. I mean, I mean, I guess unless you you know they play half a season or four games, and I mean that's what really happened this year. You know, is, I'm going to say it again, as I say every single week. I doubt we're going to see it, but it's it's about time Jared Haynes suits up. I'm just saying. Oh, it's been uh, it's been long overdue. Yeah, both special teams and offense. He still has the best return average yeah. on the team, punt return average. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And Ellington, I mean, I was hoping you know when he dropped that ball. I, I believe I wrote down something along the lines of that's it, like that. That's it. That's it. We're done with this. Come on. Let's move on. And Patton made some great plays. Patton's looking really solid. I feel like he's turning himself into something. Jerome Simpson popped up on the board there for a minute with the, the nice touchdown catch. And that's the kind of thing we need to see is more of that, more, more of these guys that, that haven't been on the scene much. I'd love to see Bell take another big jump. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's a converted tight end, young guy. It's going to probably take him a while. Looking forward to, uh, to Gabbert getting out there, maybe getting a little bit of protection. Hopefully they can get some schemes going there on offense, too. You mentioned the Mangini scheme against McCarron. You know, maybe they can keep in, you know, Bruce Miller, have him in there a little bit more. Maybe you do get that second tight end up to speed, and he can, you know, they can run some double tight end set. We didn't see a whole lot of that back on Sunday. Right. It's, it, just do something different. Let, let us enjoy the, the football to, game. You have right? to do something different. You have to. Give us some Jared Hayne, please. I'm begging you now. <laughs> yes. This, this is begging Nick, appreciate you calling in, and uh, yeah, take care of that family. (laughs) You know I will. That's my job. I'm a father and a husband, and those come first. So yeah, love you guys. Absolutely. You know what? It's not on your your Twitter profile. (laughs) You know, don't you have to have that? Am I failing as a father? No, that's always kind of a pet. I'm not a father. I'm a husband, (laughs) but not a father. That's kind of a pet peeve of mine, guys. When people have that in their their Twitter profile, not it's a bad thing, but they're always like, it's almost like, what what are you trying to say about it? you're such an amazing dad because you have that in your, or is it like your kids actually go onto Twitter and they want to see that in their profile? Yeah, right? or you know, if your wife sees that, you know, you get those points at home, man. Those are important. You understand? You're a married man. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's trying too hard. That, those are try hard points. I think. <laughs> I think you get deemed. Yeah. Yeah, hey, see, it depends on, on, on the wife, I guess, you know. I, I know my wife would probably love that, but at the same time, she, she might make fun of me. Or, so, <laughs> right. Who knows? Maybe I'm just an asshole, I don't know, but I'm... <laughs>
My vote is ding, ding, ding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, enjoy the rest of your show. Hey, fourth hey. quarter while I'm gone. Oh, you know I will. See ya. All right, see you, man. Thanks, Nick, for giving us a call and uh, getting your voice here on this show. It is your show, after all. We are the co-hosts, so it's nice to uh, talk to Mr. Winkler. But now it's time to talk to Jeff Dini of Pro Football Focus. He is the analyst and 49ers media correspondent over at Pro Football Focus. Jeff, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. I always monitor your uh, Twitter feed, at Jeff underscore PFF. For those of you out there, definitely give him a follow. He's got some great 49ers information, 49ers stats. Um, You had a couple of posts today, uh, one about Andrew Tiller, the other about Ian Williams. Let's start with Andrew Tiller. It sounds like you think he could be a long-term a long-term guy at right guard for the 49ers. Yeah, he's really uh, stepped in nicely. I think the tweet I had posted was um, his grades for the last six weeks was, um, I believe he was in the top six among, uh, you know, top six rate among all guards. Yeah, I think he's listed as, uh, he's gotten number four here on the, on the tweet four, I'm looking okay, at. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's in the top four among guards over the last six weeks. And basically started with, the I believe, the Atlanta game where he, he didn't start, but he got about 70, 80% of the playing time. And then, you know, he took the full-time starting role since then. But he's been, you know, uh, ranked fourth among all uh, guards in the NFL since then. So, um, you know, Jordan Devy was not playing very well before then. You know, then they did the, the kind of the platoon thing where they're playing half and half for a few weeks. And I think there's probably a little bit of a question mark of, of you know, kind of what took so long. Um, you know, Jordan Devy got the starting job a little bit almost a, a little over a week, I think, after he came to the 49ers from New England and, you know, didn't play well last year in New England, did not start off the season well here. And I was I don't expect, I don't think if, if, if they had handed Tiller the starting job of week one, I don't think, you know, he would have stepped in and played this well. I imagine kind of being on the practice squad and getting some reps for about five or six weeks has really helped. But uh, I think a little bit of a question mark of kind of what took so long to get Tiller in the lineup. But, you know, he's played very well. I mean, he's under contract, I think, until next year at an affordable price. So I think it's definitely somebody – you can pencil in next year at right guard. Right, and looking at the numbers, it looks like he's a little bit better against the run than against the pass, which is not uh, super surprising, I guess, uh, for, for a right guard. Um, but he's positive grades on both sides of it. And, yeah, I've, like you said, it, what took so long? It's, he, it's night and day, I think, with, with him and Debbie um, and with all the problems the 49ers have in the offensive line and now losing Alex Boone. 49ers fans got to be a little bit excited to have a guy that can at least hold his own out there. No, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of a shame because, you know, you know, fans are waiting for Kilgore back, you know, for 10, 11 weeks now. And right. you know, he, grades, he graded positively on our site last year. And so, you know, and, you know, we can get into Marcus Martin, but, you know, he's actually our lowest graded center this year. So, you know, with, with, with Tiller in the lineup and kind of solidifying that right guard spot and you're getting Kilgore back, I think, on a, you know, full-time basis, not full-time, but at least getting a majority of the snaps starting this week. You know, that gave you, gave you four of the five, I guess, uh, Spots in the offensive line where we had, I think, quality players. You know, Eric Pierce is obviously a question mark at right tackle. But exactly. as soon as you get Kilgore back, you lose Alex Boone for the rest of the year. So um, I know they moved Martin to left guard um, last week. It seems like that's going to be the plan now. Yeah, it looks um, like they, they plugged him in there. And is there any correlation with, with moving from center to guard or vice versa? Because it seems like there's a lot more going on at center. You have to make some calls and stuff. Is there potential for better grades with, with, with similar play for a guy moving from center to guard? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking, you know. Martin's a young guy. I think he's, what, 21 or 22. He's in yes. his second year. Um, that's a lot, you know, putting centers a lot of his, lot on his play where he's making the, the, the line calls and stuff and maybe putting him at guard where he doesn't have to worry about so much stuff 
prior to the snap might make things a little easier. Um, I know last week, unfortunately, he gave up a sack in three hurries, and all four of them actually came in the fourth quarter at left guard. So, but again, you know, he has been practicing there for you know all, all year. So, it's I mean, he played guard for a bit in college, but I think it's been a new position for him, at least with the 49ers. So. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if he starts grading a little better now, just I think at least mentally there isn't as much on his plate. Right. Uh, so is there anybody else that you see stepping in there along the line since Boone's gone? You know, they're going to need another spot. Is there somebody that's maybe on the practice squad? We might see uh, Silverman or Brandon Thomas working in there a little bit. <sighs> that, yeah, Brandon Thomas is the huge mystery because obviously, you know, they dropped him last year as one of those red shirt guys that had the torn ACL. I think the thought at the time was he was going to take Mike Upati's spot at left guard after Upati left as free agent, you know, and he got a little bit of play in the preseason and then, you know, he, he hasn't been active all year. And so obviously they're not liking what they have seen from him in practice. I never heard a couple people say he's getting bull rushed a lot in practice, but I mean, they're not even throwing him out there. And this is the guy who he was a third round pick, but before he got hurt was talked about being uh, a low first or a, or a high second round pick. Right. And, exactly. You know, you know, and so I'm not sure what, you know, there's a few, I mean, I'm purely speculating, but I mean, he played tackles last two years in college. So if you take those two years plus the year he missed with the injury, I mean, he hadn't played guard in close to almost four seasons. So I don't know that there's, it's the rustiness from playing guard, not playing guard in a while, the rustiness of trying to get back, you know, physically and mentally from an ACL injury, um, just, you know, moving from college to the NFL, or if he's just, not that good of a player or for some sort of combination of all four. But I mean, he's been a huge mystery of why he hasn't been able to get on the field, especially when you saw Jordan Debbie struggling earlier this year. And they absolutely had a need for some, someone to step in at guard. Um, and Ian Silverman, that's another one. I mean, he's a rookie late round pick. Um, I'm not quite sure what they think of him at the moment, but you know, I think, I think Marcus Martin's going to get the spot of left guard um, for the rest of the year, most likely unless something really happens there but I mean they didn't really you know as bad as he was at center they made no they really had no interest in trying to replace him so I think the left guard job at least his for the rest of 2015 anyway right sounds like they're at least trying to recoup whatever sunk costs they have there and and just hope that he turns into something before they have to move on Uh, mystery is a great word for Brandon Thomas I thought the same thing because I thought he looked okay in the preseason we talked to you after some preseason games and he had some decent grades. I thought he looked fine. And with his draft pedigree, it's really surprising that some of these guys aren't able to get just a little bit of run with, with yeah, how bad was, the offensive line's been. Yeah, he was a bit up and down in the preseason. I know he had one game we had a positive grade. I think he had one or two or he was the negative. But, I mean, you would expect, like I said, for all the reasons I had mentioned earlier, he's going to have some rust in the preseason. So, I mean, all that considering, I didn't think he had played that poorly, which is why, I mean, there must be something going on when, with his practice reps where they just – don't have confidence putting him on the field. But, you know, that's something they're going to have to revisit because obviously I think Boone is most likely going to depart and cash in on free agency. So whether it's in the free agency or in the draft, that's, that's a position they're going to definitely have to fill. So let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. Ian Williams is another guy you posted about today on Twitter, and uh, he's top eight. It looks like he's ranked eighth on your graph here that you posted over the last six weeks for defensive tackles and nose tackles. Um, 12.2 overall great. Aaron Donald is a beast, by the way. Gee, oh, Christmas. Yeah, he's having like a J.J. Watt type year. He has just been just absolutely dominant. And, uh, you know, he'll he'll get another shot at the Niners in a couple weeks. But he's just having a tremendous year. But, uh, yeah, Ian Williams, and he's kind of, I mean, to me, he's probably, if you ask me who the most underrated player on the team is, I, it, it would probably be him. I, he's 
he has graded out well for us the last three years. Obviously, he's had a hard time staying healthy. I know he had the, the cut block, I think it was in 2013, that took away most of his year against Seattle. And then he uh, had the fractured fibula, I think, about middle of the year last year. But uh, when he has been on the field, he's been really good. Um, you know, he, so you, you said the last six weeks he's actually, I think, ranked eighth among you know all the interior linemen. And mm-hmm. I think he's in the t- somewhere in the top 15 for the season, actually, too. He's been playing pretty solid all year. Um, and, you know, he's, he's I think he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. So that's a guy that I'd really like to see him extend, you know. In the last two years, he was pretty much just playing, you know, nose tackle on the base defense and not playing a majority of the snaps. And that's the one big difference with him this year where I think last year he played five snaps in the nickel the entire year, and they're all, again, a three-three-five alignment where he was still playing the nose. For this year, he's played a little over 200 snaps in the nickel, and most of those were in, like, a two-man line. So they kind of given him a different role this year. He's got a lot more playing time. He's taken advantage of it. You know, he's been really good against the run. You know, pass rush is still – and he's great a little below average in the pass rush, but that's not what his role is. His role is pretty much to stop the run. He's done right. a great job of it so far. Yeah, he, he's really impressed me, too, with his, the, the way he plays the run and the way he can take on blocks. And, you know, from your nose tackle, you're really not expecting too much of a pass rush, maybe a little exactly. push here and there. But um, so saying that, it's kind of no surprise that the Browns targeted the 49ers' nickel defense. So a lot of the big runs that happened this past weekend were when Ian Williams was out of the game. Um and guys like Eric Armstead have, have graded out pretty well by you guys, and he he gets pressure. He gets a lot. He probably he probably gets the second most pressure to Aaron Lynch. And um, but it looks like maybe he's got a problem with the, with his gaps and maintain maintaining his gaps with the scheme because when he's on the field, that's when the 49ers seem to get gouged in the run game. Yeah, I mean, I know they gave up two. I mean, two fifty-yard runs last week. He's actually overall graded. I mean, he doesn't play a lot versus the run, but he's actually graded a little bit above average for us against the run so far this year. But I know last week was a rough game against Cleveland. But um, like you said, against the pass rush, he's been extremely efficient. We have a, a pass rush efficiency rating, and he actually leads the league among three, four defensive linemen in pass rush efficiency. Um, and second is actually JJ Watt. Wow. Um, not, not. I mean, you're kind of comparing apples and oranges. There's yeah. obviously Watts playing almost every down. Right. You know, he's having to play the run and the pass. He's getting double and sometimes triple teamed most of the time. Where Armstead's basically coming in most of the time in the nickel on third down and passing situations where he can be, you know, basically he's pin his ears back and rush the quarterback and not have to worry about it. Plus, you know, he most of the time he's rushing from the left side, so he's got Aaron Lynch to the left of him, so he's not getting double teamed a lot and stuff. So I mean. You're comparing apples and oranges, but if you're just basically going on the number of pressures he's getting and the type of pressures, he's actually been the most efficient 3-4 defensive end so far in the league rushing the passer. Right, and I'm, I'm glad people like Pro Football Focus are there to to grade because he doesn't get a lot of sacks. He doesn't get a lot of, of – you look at the stat line, you don't see a lot of big numbers there, but you consistently see him get pressure. He, I mean, when he extends his arms, gets his hands on guys, I mean, he can just destroy people, and it's really fun to watch. So it's nice that you have something to look at statistic-wise, because they don't always show up in the box score. Yeah, I mean, he only has, I think, two sacks on the year, but he's got five hits on the quarterback, and he actually has 29 hurries, which is just a little bit behind. Lynch has 37 hurries, which leads the team. But, you know, he's got – so he's got 36, 38 pressures and a little under 190 pass rush snaps. So he's getting pressure about 20% of the time, which is an excellent figure. And, I mean, that's – I mean, that kind of goes back to where, I mean, sacks are great, but they're not – they don't obviously tell the whole story about a, a pass rusher because – I mean, you look at a guy who, you know, you know Armstead is a part-time player. You have a guy who's almost a full-time player. If you go back a couple of years to kind of Alden Smith, where he was playing a thousand snaps a year, 
that you know if he's if he have a, a good pass rusher is the guy who gets ten sacks, a double digit sack guy. Well, if he's playing a thousand plays, that's only one percent of his his plays, and it's like okay, well he's a great pass rusher, but that only tells one percent of the story. There's still ninety nine percent of the other plays where you know he's either having an impact or not. So I think you know, and there's and and sometimes you know a pressure on the quarterback is just a hurry. Sometimes we'll either force an incompletion or an interception or you know, might shuffle a guy out of the pocket and someone else gets the sack. So, right. um, you know, those numbers are also very important. So, like I said, he's getting a lot of lot of hurries, a few hits. You know, he's not he hasn't been getting getting the, the big sack, but you know, he's still like I said, he's getting pressure twenty percent of the time, which is which is a a very high figure for a lineman. And another thing with Armstead that doesn't show up in the box score is the tummy rub celebration. <laughs> I think that's strong. I think that ranks probably top ten in the league in, in sack celebrations. Yeah, I like it. I kind of like, you know, he doesn't show it when they're, you know, everyone you know, points to the scoreboard, you're down 10, 17, nothing, he busts right. it out. But, yeah. but it, is, it is pretty good. But, yeah, I, I wish he looked at the scoreboard a couple times. Right, yeah, he hasn't had many opportunities when the, the 49ers were up big to utilize That's that move. That's a good move. point. <laughs> um, so let, let's move on to quarterbacks really quick before I let you go. Hopefully you have time for that. Um, yeah, sure. All right, cool. So Blaine Gabbert, obviously he's, he's looked better than Colin Kaepernick. I think everybody agrees about that. There was an article this week on – Pro Football Focus that or it was last week that uh, said the, the headline was Gabbert plays better has played better with the Niners than the Jags, which is like a, a duh statement. But um, it goes right. into more detail in the article, and it was pretty cool to read to read that. And he's very for 49ers fans, he's very Alex Smith like in his approach to the game. You know, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of tight end stuff, shorter stuff. He hasn't hit a ton of deep plays, um, but he's made the occasional plays, made some plays with his feet as well. It's it's really hard to to get a grasp on what. Because Nick and I have gone back and forth on the show, I'm sort of still in the draft a quarterback side. You know, I'm still right. on, on, in that line. Well, well, Nick is kind of okay with what he's seen with Gabbert and would rather fill some other holes around him in the off season. Um, and I wish there was, you know, like in baseball, there's the fielding independent pitching stat, right? I wish there was right. an offensive line independent passing stat. Do you, do you guys? How much does the line affect his grades at PFF? Uh, I mean, that's one of the things with their grades. We try to isolate the player's performance on a play, not relative to everybody else. I mean, you know, an example would be if, you know, go back to the, the Torrey Smith long touchdown to defeat the Bears. You know, if Gabbert throws that exact same pass and Torrey Smith, who's over by 10 yards and he hits him dead in strike, just flat out drops it, we're going to give Gabbert the same grade than he, and he did if Torrey caught it and won, you know, took it right. to the house and okay. won the game for him. You know, um, but there's nothing for, like, if if on that same play he drops back and gets, you know, he's about to let the ball go and he gets destroyed by a defensive lineman. There's nothing there to, you know, to, to say, well, he made the right read and he was about to hit that guy, but that was the end of the play, right? Right. So, I mean, obviously, we're, you know, we're going to take in a fact that he didn't have enough time to throw or if he got hit by a throw. He's not going to get a negative grade for that play whatsoever. Okay. I think, obviously, it's easier for a – if. A quarterback has time to throw, obviously. He's going to perform better, and he's going to have a chance to make the throws downfield that get him the positive grades. So in that sense, you know, I think if you have a better offensive line, it gives the quarterback a better chance to get a positive grade. That being said, he doesn't get penalized if he doesn't have enough time to throw and make a play or if, you know, he gets hit or whatsoever. So it's kind of it's kind of a double-edged sword because we don't – we try to – it's like it, it's the same thing with, you know, wide receiver where if – it's a poorly thrown ball. He's not going to get graded poorly. He's going to get hit on the quarterback. So we basically try to put that player's performance on that singular play in a vacuum if we can as much as possible when factoring in the grade. 
But that being said, there's still a lot of things that can determine, you know, or help determine the grade or factor in where if it's, you know, the offensive line playing poorly or if it's a scheme thing, like, you know, going back to another example to me, Alden Smith and Justin Smith a few years ago, where they always had that famous stunt where Justin's kind of hold up the guard and the tackle and Alden Smith would swim through and, you know, would get the sack. Well, because of that scheme, Alden Smith's going to get the positive grade for getting the sack, and we're really not giving Justin Smith we're not getting a negative grade, but he's not getting a positive grade for holding up the guard either. Right. So that's an example where the scheme might have an effect on a grade. So there's there's many different factors that that you know will determine what kind of grade a player gets on a play. But we try to do the best we can to keep it, like I said, in a vacuum. So you know, like a wide receiver catching a pass or not catching a pass won't affect the quarterback, where that would have an effect on his stats and his quarterback rating, obviously, but wouldn't affect his PFF grade. So where do you stand on Gabbert then? Would you, if you were in charge of the 49ers in the offseason, would, would, um, would his play make you sort of pause before you drafted a quarterback in the top five? So but a long answer to that question. But, you know, <laughs> right. you know, when he came in, I actually thought he would play better than Kaepernick. I think part of that was just Kaepernick really had struggled this year, and I thought, I thought Gabbert had looked very good in preseason. Um, and just over the course of his career, just looking at some of the metrics, he gets the board of the ball a lot quicker than, than Kaepernick does. And I think with the state of the offensive line at the time, I just thought that was going to take some of the stress off the line. And I thought they'd get a little bit of results. That being said, Gabbard has surprised me quite a bit. He's played better than I, even I thought he would. Um, you know, he's, you know, I think the big, the big difference, I think, between him now and Jacksonville and him and Kaepernick this year is just, their performance when they're being pressured or under pressure. Um, Gabbert's completed 61% of his passes when he's been under pressure this year, which is actually the top number in the league. Um, Kaepernick, it was at 35%, which was actually the worst number in the league. Um, wow. Gabbert's pass, passer rating is uh, 79.3 when he's been pressured. Um, I think Kaepernick was 44 point and something, somewhere in the mid forties, which is one of the lowest in the league as well. So that's been the big difference. And obviously with the Niners offensive line, it's been solidified a little bit, but um, you know, both quarterbacks are getting pressured at a heavy rate. So when you have one guy who's performed near the top of the league, he's been pressured and one who's been at the bottom, obviously that's been the big difference in their play. Um, that being said, and he said, he's been, you know, he's been the type of quarterback that checks down a lot of the tight ends. You know, Sean drone has been catching, you know, a bunch of passes a game. Um, interestingly enough, if you look at what our stats called average depth of target, um, both of them were in the bottom half of the league, but Gabbert's actually, I think, at 8.1 yards downfield of the average pass, and Kaepernick was actually 7.7. So Gabbert's actually going downfield a little bit more than oh, Kaepernick wow. was. But, you know, you look at Kaepernick, too. He was actually this year doing a lot of check down stuff as well, more to the tight ends and stuff. But, uh, um, but yeah, I think Gabbert is – I think when you look at those pressure numbers, you know, when he is getting a guy in his face, he's being able to check it down to Drone or McDonald or Selleck and getting those few yards, or unfortunately at times on third and 15, checking it down for five yards as well. But right. um, to answer your question, I've been very impressed with playing Gabbert this year, but I still see him, and I've answered this question the same way even before the Cleveland game, I see him as a bridge guy. I think he's good enough to be your starting quarterback for the rest of this year and, and you know part of 2016 until that guy you draft next year, who if it was me would be in the first round, is ready to step in and play. I think... You know, obviously, you know, you need to have a franchise quarterback to succeed in this league. I right. think, you know, when you're going to be picking as early as the 49ers are probably going to be this year, whether it's, you know, top five or top ten, if one of those two guys who I think 
are those two guys going to go early, whether it's Jared Goff or Paxton Lynch, are available and you think they're the guy, I think you have to take them. I know there's other holes you can fill that you need to fill, whether it's you know tackle or you know middle linebacker or whatever. But I think if that franchise quarterback's available and you're picking, you need to take them. That's exactly how I feel about it. I mean, you, you can have said it more exact how I feel about it. It's, it's got to be the right guy. You don't just go taking quarterbacks willy-nilly just because you need a guy and it's the first round. But, exactly. Um, you don't go taking a 30-year-old quarterback like Brandon Whedon in the first round, right? No. I mean, I think, you know, obviously, you know, hopefully one of those two guys is still there when they pick. Um, and if they're not, then, you know, then maybe you have to look at drafting somebody later. And unfortunately, I'm not a huge fan of the guys that kind of might be going on the second round. But um, you know, if you're looking more of the Christian Hackenbergs and, and Connor Cooks of the world. Um, yeah, I'm not a I fan honestly, of either one of those guys either. And yeah, it, I mean, I think Cook's got some accuracy issues, and I think he's also, I mean, I know there's some leadership questions about him right. as well. Um, I know Hackenberg, you know, had a solid freshman year when Bill O'Brien was a coach, and I think he's one of those guys who's got those measurables that, you know, people yeah. fall in love with him he at the combine. The but he is, yeah, he's he, talking about numbers under pressure. He's another guy whose quarterback rating is in the 40s when he's been under pressure this year. He takes sacks at a very high rate. I just don't see him. Somebody will take a flyer on him, I think, based on just – it's physical, physical attributes, but I hope the Niners are not one of them. I think the other guy kind of in that tier is is probably Carson Wentz of North Dakota State, who obviously, you know, he missed most of this year. I honestly haven't seen much of him. Yeah, me either. I saw him play a couple of games last year, so I can't say too much about him. But I think those are the guys kind of in that second tier so far right now. But um, if they have a shot at Lynch or Goff, and they, you know, I, you know, I as far as I am right now, I haven't decided which guy I like better. I think there's there's things I like about both those guys this year. Um, and I think there's a couple of concerns about both of them, but I think if one of those guys is available and the Niners think he's their franchise quarterback, I think they just have to pull the trigger. Yeah, I'm with you. I haven't fully evaluated both guys, but I'm a huge draft geek, and I've really loved what I've seen from Goff, and I've seen him more than I've seen Lynch. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Lynch goes first just based on, you know you know how scouts are and you know how GMs with the measurables. You know, he's 6'7", yeah, exactly. 240, and it's so much easier to be like, okay, I, this this – I know. I know he's bigger. I know he's stronger. I know he's got a great arm. So at least we have that to go on because everything else becomes, you know, a little bit more difficult to to put your finger on when you start talking about accuracy. And it's like there's an argument whether accuracy is tangible or intangible, right? Because I think there's evidence of it, but sometimes right. you don't see that. And I I, really, I I fully believe quarterback is played from the neck up, you know. So, no, so I, it, yeah, it's almost like you need to check off the attributes of arm strength and size more so than you give extra credit when they're extra large or have an extra you know, an extra strong arm, a huge cannon. I don't know if you should give extra credit for those kind of attributes. I mean, if they could make the throws, then I think you're done evaluating that attribute. Right. I mean, I think, you know, Kaepernick's a prime example. That's a guy whose physical attributes, I mean, size, speed, cannon for an arm, but obviously what you saw at least this year, I mean, just as far as reading defenses and, and just being able to handle pressure and the blitz and stuff was just, you know, substandard, I think, you know, it's hard to evaluate both those guys because Lynch and Goff because they're both kind of those spread pass happy offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's you know, it's compared to how these guys perform in the NFL offense. I think you had to ask. I think Lynch is probably a little more NFL ready. Like you just talked about he's got the size. He's six seven. Um, I think Goff probably needs to get a little bigger and stronger. Stronger, um, especially yeah. He's he's pretty yeah. Thin. You know, I think it's interesting. They're both very they're both pocket passers, but they're both very athletic. They can both make plays with their feet. I mean. Lynch is six seven, but they're running the read option with him quite a bit. So I mean, he's—they're both very mobile quarterbacks, not in the Kaepernick sense where they need to be out of the pocket, but 
you know, if they need to, you know, they get flushed out or if they can make plays outside the pocket, they absolutely have to. Um, you know, both of them have, you know, have very good numbers against the Blitz and when they're pressured this year in college. You know, Lynch has only thrown three picks. Lynch, actually, when he's been blitzed, has a pass rating of like 139 this year. It's ridiculous. Um, I think even when he's been pressured, he's still over 100 passer rating. I think the thing with him is probably, you know, the, the level of competition in that conference. Um, I know the couple of the bigger games, the tougher games they've had, he struggled a bit against Temple and Navy, but, you know, he's put up some huge numbers. And you can kind of say the same thing with Goff in the Pac-12. Obviously, he's got a much better competition, but right. the couple of big games, I think Oregon and one, I think Utah, he struggled a little bit. Utah, against, yeah, he, that was his yeah, worst game by far. He did look, yeah, he did look very good against Stanford. Um, but I, the one thing I do love with him, I think, is his pocket presence and his vision downfield. It's very good, which after watching Kaepernick for half a year kind of right. gets you a little excited. Yeah, I really um, like his, kind of the polar opposite. his ability to throw the ball deep down the field with accuracy, yeah. anticipation, hit some tight windows. And he's really he, – the big knock is he's thrown too many interceptions, but he's got the, right. you know, he's got the guts to, to throw those balls, and he really believes in himself. And, and uh, from what I've heard, he's a, he's a film nerd too, which is, I think, a great sign for him. And that's a very important attribute, I think, is just – I mean, when you're a quarterback and there's just so much of that position – you need to be that guy who wants, you know, come in in April, you know, 12 hours a day and do that, you know, kind of boring, tedious film work to be great. I think it's important in that, that position. And I think, like you said, you know, he, he did throw quite a few picks this year. I think there are probably some times where he tried to kind of carry the team on his back when, you know, and, and force a few balls where he, he shouldn't have. But, uh, I mean, I think they both have – he pushes the ball down to, I think, a little more than Lynch has, at least this year in college from what I've seen. But uh, most of what I've seen from both those guys is very, very positive. I said there's a couple little concerns here and there. But um, I, I, if I was a Niner fan, I am a Niner fan, if I take my PFF hat off for a sec. <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if they ended up with either one of those quarterbacks, I would be very happy going forward. Real quick, since we're talking about quarterbacks, my favorite mid-round guy is probably Brandon Dowdy from uh, Western Kentucky. Have you seen any of him? I actually have not. Um, I have heard the name. I've heard a lot about him. Um, I haven't got a chance to see him play yet, but I mean that's going to be the interesting thing is if they don't go or don't get a chance to go with with Lynch or Goff, um, you know they obviously need to take somebody. And you know, do you take some of one of the second tier guys? Do you wait till you know third, fourth, fifth round to try to take somebody? But yeah, no, Dowdy's put up some huge number. I think his pass rating is about 120 this year, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's it's something crazy up there, and you know, obviously it's the same type of deal with Goff and, and Lynch. The offense doesn't necessarily translate, and the competition, obviously, playing at Western Kentucky is not going to be to the level of uh, anywhere near the right. NFL or even the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, Dowdy's actually, now I'm looking it up, is actually our, I mean, as far as the pass, our overall quarterback grade is actually uh, second behind uh, Baker Mayfield this year. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and Goff is actually fourth, and I think Lynch is somewhere in, in the, still in the top ten as well. But uh, no, he's he's put up some pretty big numbers this year. Obviously, I guess they said the competition is a little bit of a question mark for him as well. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun if you're kind of a draft nick this year. With Nair's obviously probably needing a quarterback, whether it's earlier in the mid rounds to. To, to watch some of these guys on film. Yeah, because you can be paying attention to guys on every level of the draft there for sure. Dowdy, it'd be nice to see him go to the Senior Bowl, so that'll be a, a huge thing for him, especially with competition, seeing him play with a lot of the big-name big, uh, big name guys and, and big-school seniors. Yeah, you know, but he actually, he's put up some crazy numbers this year, so I am one of, definitely one of the guys I'm looking forward to taking a look at later on after the season ends. Hey, Jeff, 
Uh, really great talking to you. Thanks for coming on. And uh, I kept you a little bit too long, but really appreciate you coming on talking about the 49ers, talking a little bit about the draft. I'll talk about the draft all day. And if it sounds like you're <laughs> into that kind of thing, too, then uh, maybe we'll have to talk again this off season. No problem. Anytime. And uh, give my best to Nick as well. Oh, absolutely. That was Jeff Dini from Pro Football Focus. He is an analyst and 49ers correspondent there. Make sure you give him a follow at Jeff underscore PFF on Twitter. It's that it's it's basically draft season. I know it's week fifteen, but it's for me. This is when when you have a team that this that's this bad. The team like the 49ers that is right now scheduled to have the fifth draft pick if the season ended today. It's draft season and something you have to look forward to, and it's always a positive thing. So uh, we'll be definitely talking about a lot of draft stuff as the off season gets rolling. And I don't know if we'll have shows every week when it comes to the off season, but um, at least twice a month we'll have shows, and, and we'll definitely have some straight up draft shows as it gets close to the spring and close to the end of April draft day. Oh, I love it! Gosh, the Forty ers are so bad. It's you want to be rooting for the playoffs, but if not, then there's at least some bowl games that you can watch and say, oh. How would that guy look in in scarlet and gold, right? So real quick, let's get to the Cincinnati Bengals before I get out of here. Uh, AJ McCarron, <laughs> AJ McCarron had an awesome quote this last week. I don't know if it's awesome or just dumb, but uh, he he quoted Tom Brady saying uh, Tom Brady was in the same situation he was in, and uh, it kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way after you come in in one game and uh, you look okay, but uh, trying to proclaim yourself to be the next Tom Brady. And he did clarify his comments this next week. He says, I wasn't comparing myself to one of the greats of all time. Whoever took that out is ridiculous. What I'm saying is Tom Brady was in the same team situation when Bledsoe went out. We have a great team. He had a great team. That's what I put forth on that, talking about what he made out of his opportunity. But I feel like the big games I've played in, I played it a lot in college. It's different game at this level, but still big pressure moments. And I feel like I've had a lot of those. So uh, it, one thing McCarron does have, he kind of backtracked on the Brady thing a little bit, but I'm glad he clarified that. What McCarron does have is a chance to win a playoff game for Cincinnati, something that Andy Dalton has never done. I don't see, even with the young quarterback playing, the 49ers are in disarray right now. I don't even know what to expect from that team week to week. Um, I, I didn't really talk much about the uh, the Alex Boone stuff and the Joe Staley stuff, and it seems like... Um, you know the locker room. This is like what this is what starts to happen with bad teams. Things just start to fall apart on every level. I don't think t- Jim Tom Sula really has this team, everybody in this team going in the right direction at the same time right now. You know, and that's what, um, and that's what's really going to do them in. Even though they've they've looked good on occasion, they've played better at home. I just don't see it. And really, I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers lose out the rest of this season. I do want to talk about those Staley quotes. Staley said in the locker room after the game, "We just came in with the wrong mentality." We can't take anybody lightly. We're not in a position to do that. And um, Kilgore kind of – and see, here's the other thing is you have a stalwart like Joe Staley who should really be commanding that locker room or commanding the offensive line room. And then they ask Kilgore about that, and he says it's a false comment. Every week we're mentally prepared. That's a stupid remark. So just among offensive linemen, to hear that, to hear a guy like Kilgore who's now played in parts of two games – to say that about what Staley said. So there's obviously some people not on the same page, even in the offensive line room. Ahmad Brooks went on to say, by us getting a win last week, maybe we got a little big-headed, which, let me pause in the middle of that quote, for the 49ers to be big-headed because they won an overtime game in Chicago and got their fourth win of the season. I mean, that's just absurd. But he said, <laughs> uh, the, the fact that the fact that the 49ers could have a game, a letdown game, because they won their fourth game in December, that's just uh, it's just silly. You just don't like the way the things are going with the 49ers. And uh, 
I wouldn't have been surprised if we walked in here today and Jeep Chris would have been fired, or even if Tom Sula would have been fired, because that's how bad they looked against a really bad Cleveland Browns team. They got thoroughly beaten on the field. They couldn't tackle. They got outcoached. So there's really nothing else to say. There's nothing else that that you could say about the team and about Tom Sula's coaching staff that's positive right now. So at this point, just like quarterback, if you if there's a guy who's available, if there's a coach that you can get to come to San Francisco that you think can be a great coach, um, I, you have to pull that trigger and you have to let Tom Sula go. And we'll see if Jed Jed probably doesn't. I, a lot of people have said that Jed doesn't want to admit that he's wrong and he'll he'll give Tom Sula a second year no matter what. But if there's a coach that's staring at you that can be a really good coach that can help this turn this team around quicker, um, you have to do that and you have to make that higher. Uh, that's my opinion. That's where I stand. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, Nick, I hope everybody's feeling better at home and uh, missed you this week, but I'm glad we got to speak to you a little bit. Thanks to Jeff Dini from Pro Football Focus. Follow me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Follow Nick at Bay Area Wink. iTunes, Stitcher, we're everywhere. Subscribe to the show. Uh, give us a review. It'd be cool to hear some reviews from some of you listeners out there. Real quick before I go, I do want to mention one of our overseas listeners. We've got so many listeners around the world, guys in Brazil. We've got people in Australia. Uh, Jan, though, hit us up on Twitter. He's a German 49ers fan. He said, your podcast helps me cope with the suck week in and week out. Keep up the good work, guys. So, Jan, shout out to you. Thanks for hitting us up from Germany. And uh, that's kind of what it's like now. Being part of the Niner family is about... Uh, Talking each other through talking each other through things, talking each other off the cliff, off the ledge, basically, is what we're doing at this point at the end of the season. So that's why uh, we might be talking a little bit more about the draft and about who's upcoming free agents and some things in the offseason that might be a little positive spin and about how the 49ers can pull out of this mess that they're in right now. All right, for Nick Winkler, I am Brian Peacock. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you next time.